Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. Let's stand from our seats as we read 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll start reading verse 14 all the way down to chapter 4 and verse 5. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and from how from childhood you have acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into meats. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we... Thank you for your word. And we thank you that by your word, you will continue, Lord, to build up your church. Father, it is our humble prayer that every time, Lord, your word is preached, your church will be built up. For your name's sake. Amen. Amen. You may take your seats. We are now on our second pillar for our discipleship. Our second means to raise up cruciform disciples. And so we look at last week and we say responsible evangelism. I hope we understand that when we talk about evangelism, there should be continuous teaching of the gospel. And there should be relationship built on love and truth. And evangelism is also done by the community of faith. So bringing our friends to church Bringing your loved ones to church is part of evangelism. We want to show them how the gospel can transform people so that if there is chaos in the world, there is unity in the church. So that's what we want to do as far as responsible evangelism. Today we will be looking at expository preaching. Now, alam ko po to most of us, like, ano po ba yung expository preaching? And that's what we will be looking at today, but let me start with saying people sometimes come to church to simply hear something that can make them feel good. Or maybe some of you came today. You have a problem in the house. You have a problem in your work. You have financial problem and you're quite anxious about it. And you just want to come to church to be encouraged. 
And it's not wrong in itself. It's not wrong in itself. You just want to leave this church released from all those burdens, joyful and happy. Or you just want to come to church because, you know, you might want to find principles or you might want to learn principles that will help you be successful in business, successful at work, successful with your relationship. Or you just want to come to church because you felt like if I would not come to church, the blessing of the Lord will not come to our family. You come to church right now because you feel like by coming to church, God would bless us. And the sad reality of this is that pastors who know this reality, pastors na alam po nila itong reality in the heart of the people coming to church, sometimes we forget that the primary need of the church is to know Christ and be like Christ. And sometimes we settle down with just the felt needs. Yung po yung tinatawag na felt needs. So ito po yung perceived needs, the money, the sickness that we have. And, and sometimes pastors will just address those felt needs and not the true need of every single one of us, and that is to know Christ. So what is the problem of this? What is the problem of this kind of approach to church? Wherein we just want to make sure that everyone who comes to the church will be happy. Well, to begin with, there is already confusion as to its goal. If the pastor, if the church, if the leaders in the church are confused towards this goal or what their goal is, then that is exactly the reason why we end up with that. Should a pastor just want to make people feel great? Or should a pastor should just be concerned of how many people are coming to church? So that, as Mark Dever said one time, he started his sermon by saying, you know, how are you when you come? Were there people who guide you so you were able to park well right away? Were you greeted well when you come into the entrance of, you know, our sanctuary? Are you comfortable right now? Do you feel just enough, not cold, not hot? And, and so on and so forth. Because some would be very concerned of these things because these are the things they think, these are the reason why people come to church again. Or should our goal be that the church will grow in our knowledge of Christ and in our obedience to Christ? It is a world of difference. It's a world of difference. The goal changes everything. Now, we're not saying that we are indifferent towards our perceived needs. We care for that. What we're saying is that our primary goal, our ultimate goal, is that all of us will grow deeper in our knowledge of Christ and be like Christ. My objective for this sermon is to make a reason right for coming to our services. That we have the right reason why we come. That we have the right reason why we gather together as a church. And I've always, I've already said this one, that we come together 
to know more of Christ and be like him. That we come together because it is our desire to become cruciform disciples. Disciples who know the cross and disciples who are shaped by the cross of Christ. And everything else are secondary. Now, having stated my goal for this sermon, we then understand the centrality of God's word. We then understand the primary role of the preaching of God's word if the church will be shaped into Christ-likeness. That is why one of our five pillars as far as how we would disciple is expository preaching. So let me start by just giving us a working definition of expository preaching, just so that we would have a knowledge. What, what does it mean? Let me quote Mark Dever. He said, Expositional preaching is that preaching which makes the point of a sermon the point of a particular passage of Scripture. I think I lack one word there. But what we mean by that is that whatever the point of the passage is, that will be the point of the sermon. We say, that's, that's elementary, Pastor. Of course, you will preach from the Bible. You should preach the point. But practically speaking, that is not what is happening. Many pastors would just read Scripture and then talk about other things. Many pastors will, will preach, will, will read a word and then talk about business. The expository preaching makes the point of a passage the point of the sermon. And let me attempt my simple way of saying what is expository preaching. Expository preaching seeks to simply explain and apply the text. That's all. It seeks to simply explain the text and apply it in our lives. That's what we do every Sunday. That's the kind of preaching we believe would grow us into Christ-likeness. Now, as I was looking at that, I thought of really going high and see the whole Scripture. But as I see the, the importance of the things that I see in Scripture, I realized that 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to chapter 4, verse 5 captures this point. And so it's easier now to study because we will just study a passage from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 down to chapter 4, verse 5. Now, writing this letter, when Paul wrote this letter, he could be very emotional for some reasons. Paul could have been even lonely for some reasons. Let me point out some. Paul was imprisoned in a poorly sanitized, so medyo madumi po yung jail na kung saan nabilanggo si Paul this time. Not like the first imprisonment of Paul in Rome, which we would read in Acts chapter 28, because it was a house arrest, and many people can just visit Paul. And so it was good. It was simply a house arrest. Paul was just chained to a, a guard, and that's it. But this time, Paul was in a jail together with the criminals, congested. At this time of writing, this, Paul wrote this one right after Nero started to persecute Christians already. Now this Nero, who 
gave no more importance than to himself, persecuted Christians. As simply because Nero, at that time, uh, wanted to belong to these great poets of their day. He wanted to be called as a great poet as well. And so he wanted to inspire himself. And he asked some of his people to burn down a part of the city of Rome, capital city of Rome, at least alleged, alleged. But the people who allegedly knew what he did would not let Nero off the hook. In other words, they would not let Nero get, you know, be blameless of what had happened, but they blamed Nero and Nero's scapegoat. Nero's scapegoat is to blame the Christians, who at the time were seen like weird people, and seen like, even probably seen as like a cult. And so Nero actually blamed the Christians and started the persecution. To say the least, it was hard to be a Christian at the time. It was hard. And it surely caused many of these Christians to be fearful. They were fearful for their lives. This could be the situation why Paul said he was actually deserted by a lot of supposedly believers from Asia Minor. He was deserted and only Onesiphorus, chapter 1, verse 16 of Second Timothy, was with Paul together with Luke, chapter 4, verse 11. Lonely time for this dying old man, Paul. To add to this, to add to this, Paul was very emotional because he was writing to Timothy, who was the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And at this time, there were elders in the church, elders of Ephesus, who turned to be false teachers. And while the church was somehow preserved, many people also in the church were attracted to this false teaching. That's why Paul was able to look at that and see the trajectory of that. This is happening already in the church, and Paul already saw the trajectory. That's why in chapter 3, verses 1 to 9, you read that one. Paul saying, many will become lovers of money and lovers of anything but God. It was in the context of church. Or chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. The people even inside the church would want to hear messages that would tickle their ears, that would make them feel good. They wanted to hear messages that they want to hear, not really from God's word, but messages that they wanted to hear. And how sad could this be? All learned that the leaders in the church, including Timothy, were somehow fearing the false teachers. To the point that Paul had to tell Timothy, do not be timid, Timothy. You have not been given the spirit of timidity, a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and self-control. Paul was particularly concerned for Timothy. We know that Timothy is his son in the face. Si Paul po yung ginamit para makakilala si Timothy 
sa Panginoon? Timothy was Paul's protege. His fellow worker, and most especially, he was Paul's most dear friend. So a dying man in this letter, Paul was dying man or was about to be executed at least. Chapter 4, verse 6. Paul just wanted Timothy to remain faithful. This is all this letter all about, the second Timothy. You can sense that Paul just wanted Timothy to be faithful to the end. Particularly, as far as our text is concerned today, particularly that Timothy would not succumb, would not give up, or rather give in to the false teachers and the false teaching, that, that Timothy would not, with the pressure applied to Timothy, that he would not cave in and also embrace this false teaching. So Paul's exhortation to Timothy as a proven, genuine, faithful servant of God, chapter 3, verse 10 to 11, Timothy was commanded by Paul, commanded by Paul in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to uphold God's word, to preach God's word. And as a pastor, I feel that. Like in, in the ever-changing realities and cultures and things that are going around us, there is a pressure to be faithful in God's word. So Paul commanded Timothy to simply preach the word. Here's my sentence today where I would be revolving around. We labor, we pastors and leaders, we labor to simply explain and apply the point of the passage. Because the power to save and transform is in God's word. Let me say that again. We simply labor to explain and apply the point of a passage because the power to save and transform is in God's word. I want to draw two things from the text that we will be studying today to answer the question, why do we simply preach, meaning explain and apply the word? First, the power of God's word. We will see later on that the Word of God is, has sufficient power to accomplish the purposes of God. And that because of, because the truth is that the, the Word of God has power to accomplish the purpose of God, then the role of the preachers is just to preach it for what it is. Just to preach it. So let's look at the first one. The power of God's Word. Read with me again. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, sorry, complete, equipped for every good work. 
Paul here is admonishing Timothy to be faithful to the gospel. He said that one when he said, What you have learned and have firmly believed, it refers to the gospel. He reminded Timothy that you learned it from people whom you most trusted. You don't trust other people. You know where you learned this one from your childhood, Timothy. And that is, if you look at chapter 1 and verse 5, Timothy learned this truths from his grandmother, Louise, and his mother, Eunice. You learned it from your grandmother and your mother. And you learned it from Sunday school. You learned it from teacher Christine or teacher Vanessa or teacher Divine. You grew up in Sunday school being taught from the sacred writings. He said, from how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, sacred writings, which Paul called scripture in verse 16. Scripture. So in trying to persuade here, Timothy, in trying to persuade Timothy to continue in the sacred writings, don't swerve, continue in the sacred writings, continue in the scripture, somehow, if we look at the passage that we just read, Paul highlighted the sufficiency of the power of God's word to save and transform. The sufficiency of the power of God's word to save and transform. I will not look into the details. That is not our, our goal for this sermon. But first, look at this. Paul said that the sacred writing is able to make you wise. To understand that salvation is by faith alone and in Christ alone. Where'd you learn that one? The word able there, able, is dunamis. And dunamis can be translated or translated in other parts of the New Testament as power. It is the same word as dynamite. So Paul is saying here that the scripture has the power to open your mind so that you would understand that salvation is not by works, but salvation is by faith alone. Which if not through scripture, that would appear lame and foolish. How can I be saved through somebody who could not even save himself in the cross of Calvary? That's exactly what the people in Jesus' time said. But as we have understood the scripture, as we have read from the scripture, we begin to understand and we begin to realize that God created us, but this God is a holy God who could not tolerate any particular sin in our lives. And yet, what we know is that we did not sin once or twice before God. We sin like we are drinking water. But God in his goodness and grace... He could have chosen to annihilate all of us. He could have chosen to throw all of us into hell forever. But God in his goodness and grace, instead of waiting for us to come up, he came down so that he would live the life we could not live and pay the debts, our debts in the cross of Calvary, resurrected from the dead, so that we would know that he is the Lord and that he successfully made the transaction before the Father. He paid it all. We learn that because of the Scripture. 
Secondly, look at what Paul said in verse 16. Not only that it is able to make us wise for salvation, then Paul said all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable. Look at that word profitable. Though that does not directly talk about power, it still speaks of the benefit of God's word and it carries the idea of God's, the power of God's word in it. The four benefits, look at that in your scripture, being mentioned here for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training are all in, in a noun form, which scholars called accusative. Excuse me for the technicality. What is important when I say it is in, a, in the accusative, what is important is that we understand that it speaks of extent. It speaks of extent or answers the question, how far? How far? In other words, it is a display of what is the greatest thing that the Word of God can do. How far can it go? What is the farthest that the Word of God can go? What can God's Word accomplish? What can God's Word do? How powerful is God's Word? And it is answered in verse 17. That the man of God... This is how far, this is how great, this is how powerful God's word is. That the man of God, a believer, may be complete. May be complete. The word complete here, you think of a car. It's running. It's just one car. But for those who are automotive here, I'm not. We know that there are thousands of parts in the engine. And all these parts are fitted together in order for one purpose, the car would run. The word complete here is like that, like everything should be put in so that for the intended purpose of what? Paul then said, qualifying the word complete, he said that we will be equipped for every good work. Paul is portraying to us that God's word will be like supplying every need we have so that in every situation that calls us to do a good work, we will be able to do that. That's a picture of a mature person. I think of a neophyte employee. He might be good, but many times we say he still has a lot of things to work on. Have you heard this? Uh, a rookie mistakes. When I worked in KFC, I used to work with KFC when I was in college. The, the chicken ribs would look like the filet, the chicken filet that we put inside the zinger of the sandwich. And rookie mistakes. When you're working in a fast food, everything is fast. There's no time to think, it's just, just fast. Rookie mistake, I made a zinger and I put a chicken rib inside that. And a minute or two, the customer went back and said, when I bite your sandwich, there are bones in it. One of the veterans in the store told me, 
when you make a sandwich, even if this is the place for filet, sometimes we exchange that. When you get one, squeeze it with your hand. Because once you squeeze it, you know it's a filet. Rookie mistake. In any office, this is true. Right? And over time, the employees would overcome this and become well-rounded in the work. She knows how to make memos. She knows how to make letters. She knows how to make handle clients. She knows how to troubleshoot. She knows how to work under pressure. She is becoming complete. That's what Paul is talking about here. Like God's word will develop us into a complete person. A believer could have a lot of areas to learn. He simply doesn't know the truth. He needs to be teach. Or he, he knows that what is right, but is not putting it into practice. He needs to be rebuked. Or he could think that a thing is right when it is really wrong. He needs to be corrected. Or a, a Christian knows what is right, knows what needs to be done, but he just don't know how to apply it. He needs training in righteousness. All of it is done by God's word. Whatever he needed, whatever we need, so that we can do every good work in front of us to rightly respond to our every situation. The scripture is sufficient to equip us. What else would you be needing? What else would we be needing? If that is our goal, if our goal is salvation and sanctification, what else do we need? This is what Paul is saying here. What else do you need, Timothy? If Scripture is able to make one wise for salvation and able to sanctify, do you need anything? That's why Paul said, preach the word. Just preach the word. This is not surprising, isn't it? That scripture has sufficient power to accomplish its purposes. Because, Paul said, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. Now, the word breathed out by God there, or 2 Timothy 3.16 is used for the doctrine of the inspiration of scripture. I don't have to explain it today. We can talk about that one soon. But the theologians were saying, yes, it's true. We can use this one to prove that God really is the one who inspired the writing of Scripture. But literally, this should be expiration. This should be expiration. Because inspiration could, could mean breathing in. But theopneustos, the word behind Breathed out by God here means not breathing in, but breathing out. Now, why is that so important? Anyone who can speak here while breathing in? Try nyo po ngayon. You say a word, but as you say the word, you're actually breathing in. Cannot be, right? When you say a word, you're breathing out. What is Paul's point? Paul's point is to display to us that this is God's word. He is breathing out. 
This is God's word. Like when God, so if this is God's word, it intrinsic in that, intrinsic in God's word is power. When God said, let there be light, light was flushing in the speed of light. Everything from the, what is dark and what is void suddenly has light. Intrinsic to God's word is power. The man who came to Jesus and say, my servant is sick. And Jesus said, I will come. And the servant said, no, 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 no. I know your authority. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. That power of God displayed in the stories where God spoke and everything is, is an intrinsic characteristic of God's word. It is a powerful word because it is not anything's word, nor Christian's word, or Pastor Joe's word. It is God's word. It is God's word. In this case, when we look at God's word today, what is it powerful to do? This is not powerful to make you sleep, although at times you do that. This is not powerful to make you rich. That is not the purpose of God's word. This is not powerful to heal you with all your diseases. This is not powerful so that you will be successful in everything you do. This is powerful for salvation and sanctification. This will only work. The power of this word will work for its purpose. And the purpose is to save and to transform. And what we do as a church is to save those who are unsaved among us and to grow us as believers. Because of that, we simply explain and apply God's word. Because we have the confidence. I am confident and you should be confident that the Bible has the power to save and grow believers. So our confidence in Scripture should keep us from doing all form of gimmicks. Gimmicks can bring people to church, but not save and transform. One of our challenges as a church is that we have a lot of things that we do. We have our social media, we have our online classes, we have our prayer meeting, we have our small groups, and we might be tempted to think we have all these things. But this, the point of it all, these are avenues. These are means. But it is not about the online. It is not about the online classes. Whatever we do, it is about God's Word. It is the Word of God who will do its thing. And we simply have to be faithful to it. That is why if God's Word has sufficient power to save and transform, then this leads us to the second point. The preaching of God's Word. The preaching of God's Word. Look at the connection. Paul said, this is sufficient. And then in chapter 2, in chapter 4, he then said, preach the Word. That's all that you have to do. Let's read verses 1 to 5, 2 Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus 
who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into meats. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Well, Timothy did not have a choice. <laughs> it was a charge. It was a command. And Paul is invoking the authority of God. He said, I charge you in the presence of God and of the coming judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a command. Preach the word. And listen to this carefully again. When Paul said preach, the, the stress, the emphasis is not in the word preach, but in the word word. In the Greek, it is articulated. In English, it's the word the. So it has, it's supposed to be read as this way. Preach the word. Preach the word. It brings our attention to what would be preached. And what would be preached is not psychology. It is not philosophy. It is not sociology. What will be preached is the word. It is the word that has to be preached. And Paul emphasized that Timothy should be ready in season and out of season. What, is, what does it mean? In the second Timothy, Paul has been talking about time. Chapter 3, verse 1, he said about difficult times will come. And in chapter 4, verse 3 to 4, he also spoke of a time where people will only listen to what they wanted to hear. So then we understand that Paul's point is obvious. Whether you are in a time where people love God's word and they wanted to hear the word of God, or whether you are in a time where people just don't want to hear God's word, nothing will change. Preach the word. I want to contextualize it. Preach the word even if the church is active and listening and even if they're sleeping. Preach the word. This comforts me. <laughs> Preach the word. Just because people are not into the word, it doesn't give any preacher the license to stop preaching God's word. Preach the word. Instead of doing things like businesses who caters the perceived need of the people, whether people perceive their need of salvation and their need of Christ-likeness, even if they don't, Paul is saying, preach the word in season and of, out of season. What does Paul exactly mean when he said, preach the word? I think that's a good question to answer. Many of the false teachers of Paul's time were like quoting from the scripture too. In fact, today, if you look at the false teachers, they would be claiming to be preaching from God's word. How many religious groups claim to have the Bible as the authority of their teaching? 
How many of these false preachers who preaches a different gospel, a false gospel, claim that they preach from God's word? I even heard Christians saying that a well-known false teacher is a good preacher. And I was like, how can a false teacher be a good preacher? Well, I understand. Because today, a good preacher is one who attracts crowd. A good preacher is a good talker. But look at Paul. A good preacher cannot just be a good talker because the emphasis is on the word. If you are not faithful on the word, regardless of how you speak, regardless of how dynamic you are, you are not a good preacher because a good preacher preaches the word. Paul in saying, look at this, rebuke or reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Then he gave us the reason in verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. So you need to preach the word, Timothy. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Because there would come a time that people doesn't want to listen to God's word anymore, but what the messages that they wanted to hear is what they wanted to hear. So Paul's point here is that preach the word for what it is instead of succumbing to what people want to hear. This is, this is Paul's command to Timothy, that you will preach the word for what it is instead of Giving in to what people wants to hear. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. These are things basically you read in chapter 3 verse 16. Isn't it? The essence is that, here's the essence. If the word demands you, Timothy, to reprove, then reprove. If the word demands you, Timothy, to exhort, then exhort. If the word demands you, Timothy, to rebuke, then rebuke. Do not back down. Do not back down. Do not be fearful. You are not given the spirit of divinity, but you are given self-control, love, and power so that you can preach God's word. Do not back down. This is exactly why Paul gave the reason in verses 3 and 4. Paul already said in chapter 3 and verse 13 that false teachers will go from bad to worse. Deceiving, and what is worse of this? Being deceived. It was already happening under time. Timothy was already dealing with them, but Paul saw that it will turn from bad to worse. Notice carefully, again, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. The people who cannot endure a faithful preaching of God's word, they cannot, like, this is not about me. Why are you talking about Paul? Why are you talking about Timothy? Why are you talking about Jesus? Please talk about me. That these are the people 
that will raise up for themselves, accumulate for themselves teachers who will give them or who will preach them what they wanted to hear. In other words, is this, how this is happening to us today. False teachers who have no other desires but to please people in order to draw people to themselves. They will want to give what people want. As a dying man here, as a dying man, Paul made clear to Timothy to preach the word for what it is. People will come to gatherings that preach messages like God will give them their passion. God will. So you come to church and you have, you know, you feel bad. Someone left you and you love that person. And you come to church, you want to hear messages that say, if you love somebody, if you really love somebody in your heart, don't worry, God will give you that person. And you left, you left the gathering and say, oh, I love it. I have an assurance he will return to me. You come to church and you feel like, oh, I'm having a hard time with business. I just want to be successful in business. You come to church and you want to hear messages that say, if you will do it rightly, and if you will just give to God, God is assuring you that you, he will bless your business. You'll be rich. And you come home and say, I'm so fired up right now. God will make me rich. And then that person will go to their, to their, to their neighbor and say, do you have a problem? You feel bad? Come to church. Because you'll be assured that your sickness will be healed. And then the church will give surveys of what the people wants. They will collate the surveys and say, oh, this is what people want. What message should we give them uh, so that we can tickle their ears? Messages that make God a means to an end. Or messages that makes God the instrument to our real gods, our idols. So preachers who will feel validated by the coming of people will preach those messages. But listen, church, we love you. And we do not want to deceive you. Not all of us will be successful in the world standard. Not all of us will be rich. Not all of us will be at your best health. Some of us would have to suffer. But here's the good news. Even as we suffer, God's promise is that he will transform us into Christ. Free us from sin, which makes life difficult, so that we will enjoy the life that Jesus has accomplished in the cross. I don't know with you. That is a better blessing than not having any sickness at all. Preach the word for what it is. That's why sometimes I, I felt many feedbacks like, I don't know, when Pastor Yenting preached, it, it's painful and I don't want to listen anymore. It, it just hurts. Let me hurt you, but let me apply the gospel so you would be healed after you're hurt. Second Chronicles chapter 18. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, 
Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, wrongly allied with the king of northern Israel to fight against Ramoth Gilead. After hearing the assurance of the false prophets that God he said, go and destroy Ramoth Gilead, God will give it to you. Jehoshaphat, who clearly discerned that these are false prophets, said in Second Chronicles chapter 18, verse 6, If there are not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire. And of course, Ahab said, Ah, forget him. He never said something good to me. But Jehoshaphat insist, insisted. Micaiah was brought to them. Now, if you are Micaiah, imagine the pressure. Micaiah knew that all the false prophets are saying, God is giving you the Ramoth Gilead. The king of Ahab wants to hear that words. Imagine the pressure of Micaiah. Would Micaiah just yield to them so that everybody will be happy? Or would he speak God's word? Read with me quickly verse 12 to 16 of Second Chronicles chapter 18. And the messenger went to Solomon Micaiah and said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what my God says that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle and shall I refrain? And he answered, Go up and triumph, they will be given to your hand. But the king said to him, obviously he discerned that Micaiah was sarcastic. Verse 15, How many times shall I swear to you that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains, a ship that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. Micaiah, even if it would mean his life, he said, I cannot give anything but that which God gives me. So church, this is an appeal. I'd like to ask prayer from all of you that we may preach the word only. That we will not become men pleasers. But that we preach God's word instead of what people wants to hear. Because we understand that the goal is not to make you happy. It can be secondary. But primary, it is not to make you happy. We are here to grow you to maturity. Listen, church. We should all desire to be mature so that we, all of us, come to church to hear God's word. Are you with me? We all come to church because we want to hear God's word. Here are our leader's responsibility. Our leader's responsibility first is to interpret scripture rightly. Second Timothy chapter 2.15 Paul said to Timothy, cut it straight, Timothy. Interpret the scripture rightly. Second responsibility, 
our leader's responsibility is to explain and apply the text in their sermons. To explain and apply the text in their sermons. There's something I want to show here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Look at what Paul said. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Let's put it aside. Here's our focus. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. With complete patience and teaching. Do you see that? Paul is like saying, as you preach the word, Timothy, don't back down. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. How do you do it? How do you reprove? How do you rebuke? How do you exhort? He said, with complete patience and teaching. In other words, your rebuke, your reproof, your exhortation should be coming from the teaching of the Scripture. Should be coming from the truths of the Scripture. Should be coming from the explanation of the Scripture. And so, listen to me. When I rebuke, when I reprove, when I correct, when I exhort, if it is coming to God's Word, then it is not me rebuking. It's God. You get me? If I rebuke you and you, I do not have foundation from God's word, if I exhort you to do something and I do not have foundation in God's word, then don't apply it. Don't believe it because it is just my word. But if I taught you the scripture and that's what the scripture says, and then out of that comes reproof, rebuke, or correction, then we have to take heed because it is God's word. In fact, to Paul, a faithful preaching of God's word amounts to hearing God. You want to hear God? Some of us, we go to the mountain. Some of us go to the beach. And some of us wants to be alone. And we want to hear God. But we want to hear God? Look at, listen what Paul said. First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. We also thank God constantly for this. That when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us. So obviously, this is Paul preaching to the Thessalonians. You accepted it, not as the word of man, but as what, as, as what it really is. And what is it? The word of God, which is at work in you, believers. So when God's word is preached, you heard from God. It leads us. Let me skip the other responsibility of the leaders, but let we don't have time. It leads us to our responsibility. Our responsibility as a church. First, we should come to hear God's word and not what we want to hear. Are you with me? When we come on a Sunday, when we come on our online classes, we come to hear from God's word, not what we want to hear. Second, we should take a faithful preaching of God's word as hearing from God. We should take it as we have heard from God if there is a faithful preaching of God's word, which leads us to the third one. So if it is God speaking because there was a faithful preaching of God's word, then it follows we should obey God's word in our lives and ministries. Here is what I labor in prayer for all of us. That when we hear 
a preaching of God's word, we leave here thinking, how am I going to apply it? We don't come and then hear God's word, go to our house, and then when you come back the next Sunday, you're still the same person. We want to come, hear from God's word, apply it so that when we come back, we are a different person because there's something that has been changed. Can we do that? We as leaders would want to be faithful to our responsibilities and even in our own obedience. But we as a church, as a whole, let us also be. Let's, just, let's take responsibilities. Let's come to hear from God. Let's take a faithful preaching as hearing from God. And let's obey the word of God in our lives. In conclusion, again, we labor to simply explain and apply the point of a passage because the power to save and transform is in God's word. There are times that a child will sleep over our house and in this time, you would think, how am I going to let him eat? And we have some gimmicks to make his stay with us worthwhile. Right? Have you, have you tried that one? We have reward system probably. If you'll do this, we will reward you. We, we do some gimmicks to make them obey and be happy. How different is that when it comes to the father of that child? The father will probably not have gimmicks. When he says his word, the child will obey. It displays the power of the father's word. We do not do gimmicks. You're not visitors and we want to. You're not spectators that we want to entertain or anything. We preach the father's word. Because it will come with authority and power to his children. If it does not come with authority and power to us, the question is, are you a child of God? We just preach the word. Let's come before God. Our gracious heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for... You did not give us, you did not leave us lacking um, what to use so that we would, those whom we call, you called will be saved and those whom you have saved will be sanctified. Thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, the Lord in this church, God, give us a humble, submissive heart before you. That when you, when we hear you speak, we will not take it as an option. We will not take it as a choice. We will take it as a command. Father, we humbly ask that you will enable everyone through the Holy Spirit to live lives that are honoring and glorifying thee. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church Podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www.cruciformlifechurch.org 
or subscribe to this podcast at Spotify.